Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And you find that in your daily experience walking with the Lord. You find it in your own family relationships. You find it in your financial relationships. You find it in your spiritual relationships. When you come to the conclusion that this is beyond me, well, the Lord steps in to show you that He is not only able, but willing to meet every possible need. We begin a new message entitled, A Heart of Compassion. Pastor Sam takes us through a series of miracles where Jesus feeds 5,000, walks on the water, and continues to heal the sick with simply a touch. Let's begin in Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. One of the things we learn as we walk with and grow in and then begin to serve the Lord is that in order to rightly represent Him, we have to learn to rely on Him, to trust Him, to obey Him. And what I'm experiencing, and I've been experiencing it for, well, most of the 20 years we've been here, is that God continually brings me to places where I have to survey my resources and figure out what I'm capable of, and then I've just got to fall on my knees and say, Lord, I am not sufficient for this task. I am unable to meet the needs that you place in front of me. I'm not able to do the things that you're really needing me to do. Well, here's the good news. That's actually somewhere God likes us on our knees, admitting our in inabilities, admitting our uh, insecurities or well, whatever they might be, and just saying, Lord, I know you, though, can meet these needs. You are sufficient to every situation. You see, my extremity becomes his opportunity, and that's true for each and every one of yours and each and every one of you. When you find yourself in a place where you know this is beyond me, and you find that in your daily experience, walking with the Lord. You find it in your own family relationships. You find it in your financial relationships. You find it in your spiritual relationships. When you come to the conclusion that this is beyond me, well, the Lord steps in to show you that He is not only able, but willing to meet every possible need. Now, chapter 14 concludes with four notable miracles, and we're going to do our best to look at all four. If we don't get that far, well, then we'll pick up where we end up this time. But there are 5,000 fed, many of you are familiar, if you've studied the Bible for any time at all, with these events, these historical events. Second miracle is Jesus walking on the water. The third miracle is Peter walking on the water. And then the fourth is the storm being stilled as Jesus climbs back into that boat. Well, it picks up when it says, Jesus having heard about John the Baptist, that is, he departed from there, verse 13, by boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed they're sick. This, by the way, this miracle of the loaves and fishes, the 5,000 plus fed with just five loaves and two fish, it's the only miracle prior to the resurrection recorded for us in all four Gospels. That has to be significant. It has to be important if each and every one of these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John thought, well, that's something I absolutely can't leave out. 
Uh, the only one who even tells us that Peter walks on water is Matthew. So Mark didn't think it was a big deal. Luke, well, he didn't care. John wasn't really impressed by it. But Matthew thought it was important that we know this event took place. Well, here we find then this miracle, this miracle of the loaves and fishes. And what it demonstrates for us is really a couple of things. Jesus' compassion on the needy multitudes. We're told that he was moved with compassion. And if you look at all four Gospels, you'll find that, that Jesus was moved with compassion, according to Mark, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach him. Luke tells us they followed him. He received them. He spoke to them and he healed them. John tells us that he had a plan to go beyond all that, but began to test his disciples, and we'll come to that in a moment. Well, Matthew then here shows us Jesus' vision for and compassion towards the multitudes. Seeing the multitudes, well, Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, I've been around Christians for about, well, I've been around them all my life, but I've been walking with them and fellowshipping with them for about 24 years now. And I've noticed over the years that some Christians, not all, certainly most of you won't be this way, but if any are, you want to make an adjustment. Some Christians are just so I-oriented, me-centered. It's all about my desires, my goals, my needs, you know, my hurts, my my everything. And really, the Christian life can never be about you. Once you come to Christ, it's all about him, and then it's all about them. In fact, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So there's nowhere in there to say, well, I got to take care of me because a better me will be better for them. That, that's just foolishness. Uh, you heard the saying, you can't help others until you help yourself. Well, that's not really true either. You can't help others until you stop focusing on yourself and still you stop helping yourself, as it were. Well, if you set out to please the Lord, to love the Lord, to please and bless people in his name, well, he'll provide all you need to do it. So if you're a Christian, it's no longer going to be about you. Now, it's possible for us to feel bad for people or have pity on them and yet do nothing for them. But compassion is different than feeling bad or having pity. Compassion has got to move us, as it did Jesus, to action. And that's how you can tell if you're a compassionate person. I mean, everybody weeps when we see those TV shows where they show the starving children and they're trying to get just 30 bucks a month to feed them, you know, in some uh, undernourished, impoverished country. And we all feel bad about it, but lots of us could feel bad and then just do nothing in response. Am I saying God wants everyone who sees those shows to send a check? No, but I'm saying God would want us to say, Lord, do you want me to send a check? Is this a need you want me to meet? And uh, we're going to see, maybe you're at that point where you're thinking, well, I'd be the kind to send the 30 bucks if I had the 30 bucks. What I found is if the Lord leads you to give, he always gives back more than he required of you or desired from you. Why? It all comes from him in the first place. He's the one who is making it possible for us to thrive and function. So 
Anyway, Jesus' compassion, and, and that's what we see. He was moved with compassion, and he spoke to him, and he healed him, and he taught him, and he, he ministered to them. Now they come to a physical need, and it's important to know that God is concerned with our physical needs. I talk to believers who say, well, I just feel so guilty praying for myself. You don't need to. You shouldn't. Why? Even Jesus prayed first for himself there in the, the garden. Then he prayed for his immediate circle of disciples. Then he prayed for all who ultimately would believe in him through them. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, Father, draw me closer to you. Make me more like you. Help me see people through your eyes. It's Well, the reason people feel guilty praying for themselves is it's what they're praying for themselves, you see. And I've been there too. Lord, I just need this or I want that or I sure would appreciate this. But if it's selfish prayer, well, maybe we should feel bad about that. But if we're praying, Lord, bless me so I can be a blessing to others. And I mean bless me in whatever way you see fit so you can use me in whatever way you see fit. Well, what happens is here... These disciples, as Jesus is surveying the situation, he decides to put them to a test. So when it was evening, verse 15, his disciples came saying, and they give him a pretty accurate assessment of the situation. Note it in verse 15. This is a deserted place. The hour's late. Send the multitudes away that they may go to the villages and buy themselves food. Now, One of the other gospel writers tell us that he asked Philip, what do you want to do about this? You know, give him some food. And and Philip says, hey, if if we gave him, if we had 200 denarii, that wouldn't even begin to meet this need. Now, we don't know if that's all the money they had or they didn't even have that much money. Or even if they did, where would they go spend it in this deserted place in order to provide the need. But at least Philip comes up with some possibility. He says, well, if we had this, I'm not sure that would even cut it, Lord. But the guys kind of get themselves together. They have a little board meeting and they decide, well, let's just send the crowds away. I uh, remember years and years ago, and this this does not in any way reflect on our board here at Calvary Chico. It's a board of elders and deacons that are just godly men, that they're a blast and a, a great thing to be with. We dine together. We do the church business together. I love them. But years ago, before I met these guys, I heard a definition of a board or a definition of a committee, which boards are often made up of committees. A committee is a group of people who individually can do nothing and corporately decide nothing can be done. And that really fits these guys, you see. They had a little committee board meeting and they said, well, we can't do anything and let's get together. Yeah, I guess nothing can be done. So they go to the Lord and they say, it's late, it's deserted. We got to get rid of these people. But the Lord instead says, well, you give them something to eat. And you get this by looking at uh, uh, all of the accounts. But even here in ours, he, he says, not mentioning Philip by name, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, they take inventory then, something that is always uh, appropriate and, and uh, right to do. And they come up and they said, well, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. Turns out that Andrew had brought a young guy to Jesus, something he was always doing. You read about Andrew in scripture. He's always bringing 
people to Jesus. So he brings this kid and, and I don't know if he na- saw the lunch or if he just wanted the kid to meet Jesus, but he says, well, we found this kid and he's got a lunch. And he's like, well, what's he got? Five loaves and two fish. And then they ask the question, but what are they among so many? It's a good question. Hey, I think they're thinking even their little group, forget the you know multitudes. I'm not sure five loaves and two fish are going to feed the disciples, you see. These are big guys, hungry guys. And so Philip says, well, 200 denarii wouldn't cut it. The, the committee says, well, we can't do anything. And Andrew says, well, we got a few loaves and a couple fish, but what are they among so many? Now, here's, here's something that, I think could be of great help to you when you find yourself, and you will, at a point of extremity. you got to know what God has done in the past. See, these guys were, they're like teenagers. They were only living in the moment. They couldn't think about next week or next month or next year. It's just like, what am I going to do this day or this hour or this moment? And so what's happening is because they're not really looking back and they're not really looking up. They're just looking around. They come to the conclusion that, well, we're in big trouble and there's nothing we can do to meet the need. Now, they're walking with and been learning from the same God who fed the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. You know the story. There they were delivered from Egypt not ready to go into Canaan. Well, that first generation was never going to make it in, sadly, but because of their unbelief, because of their unfaithfulness. But but anyway, for 40 years until that entire generation dies out, God fed them miraculously, daily, with manna from heaven. Now, if you know that God's done that in the past, and you're faced with the situation, and you're thinking, Lord, How can this need be met? Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in their situation, it's very simple. Hey, God's done it before. Rather than thinking, well, this is what makes sense to me, the question should be, Lord, what do you want to do? Not, what can we do about this? Because what could they do? They knew they couldn't meet the need. That's okay. And when you get before the Lord and say, Lord, There's just no way. This is beyond me. I'm inadequate. I'm unable. Well, he's going to say, well, watch this. And that's exactly what takes place here. So the first thing they do, and I encourage you to do the same when you find yourself in a position like that, is to take inventory. What has God already provided? When Moses stood before Pharaoh and uh and, and he said, well, we're going to have to do something, you know, to convince him. Or when he was preparing to stand before Pharaoh and he said, we're going to have to convince him. What if he doesn't believe me? He said, what's that in your hand? And it's just a staff. He says, throw it down on the ground. He does. And it becomes a serpent. You see, God can take anything natural and do something supernatural with it. Why? Because it was all made by him. The natural, the supernatural, that which we can see and that which we can't. That which we make sense of and that which we don't, it all belongs to him. And so here he says, what do you have? What's in your hand, in effect? And and they're like, well, we've got five loaves and we've got two fish. Now, the second thing that happens after taking inventory is they give what they have to Jesus. And that's what he commands them to do. He says in verse 18, bring them here to me. That's... By the way, what he's always saying to me, first he says, well, what do you have? And I'm like, well, 
I got a little time. I got a little bit of energy left. I've got a little of this. And he's like, just give it back to me. Place it in my hands. And those of you who are struggling today, whether it's financially or whether it's with your time management or relationally, he's saying just place that situation, place yourself back in his hands. Why? Because he can multiply the hours of the day. In fact, we regularly pray that. We pray it for our staff. We get together and we meet knowing that there's lots of responsibilities for everybody. And we just pray, Lord, multiply these hours back to each and every individual. Things happen. Tragedies happen. And we pray the same thing. Just multiply your grace in this situation. And we find he's faithful to do it. So if it's time you're struggling with, well, Maybe, you know, offer your whole day back up to the Lord. Maybe time management isn't the problem as much as that you're not starting the day with him or yielding the day to him. And then if it's finances, just yield the finances back up to him. Whatever the situation, whatever the need, take inventory and then give what you have back to Jesus. The third thing is do whatever he tells you to do. And by the way, this is just... It's practical. It's it's like we're going to find ourselves in situations, hopefully not this exact situation, but you're going to find yourself at places where your extremity will show you, hey, it's an opportunity for him. And so they place what they have in his hands, and then the next step is do whatever he commands you to do. Well, he commands the multitudes, first of all, verse 19, to sit down on the grass Now, it's interesting because they obey him. And if you read all the gospel accounts, he had them sit down in fifties and hundreds and tens. He actually kind of organized them out there to make it easier to uh, deal with the need at hand. And so um, he commands the multitudes to sit on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate, were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. And those who were eaten, had eaten, were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, this is a great picture for us because it's exactly what happens when we place our lives in his hands. He takes us, he blesses us, and we're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. And then he breaks us and we're like, well, that was no fun at all. And the truth is, in order to be radically used, radically blessed and used by the Lord, we need to not only be in his hands and not only blessed by him, but broken by him. Why? Because our God is meek and humble of heart. And we're by nature haughty and, and, you know, a little bit arrogant and proud of heart. And so what he does is he's got to break us. And part of that breaking process is realizing, well, I'm not who I thought I was. I can't do what I thought I could do. And I've watched very godly men just go through such pain, realizing that I'm failing in what I'm trying to do for the Lord. And here's what I'm learning that it isn't really about what we're doing for the Lord. It's about what he's doing in us and through us. It's one thing to work for the Lord. It's another thing to work with the Lord. And when I'm working for the Lord, he'll always bring me to an end of myself. Even though my motives might be right and my desires might be right, it's me doing it. And he's saying, no, it's got to be him working in me and working through me. And when that's happening, 
here's, here's one way you can tell. At the end of God's working or whatever happens, if it's you doing it, you're going to be talking about what you did. And if it's him doing it, you're going to be talking about what he did. It's that simple. And so I can go out and I can try and, hey, here, here's the amazing thing. Sometimes I even succeed. And I'm thinking, that was amazing. I stepped out and I trusted the Lord and I did this and I did that and I did this. And, and he goes, yeah, you want to try it again? And, and he's like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go again, you know. And yeah, that was so easy. And then he lets me go again. But this time... This time, he doesn't, it doesn't happen. Why? Because the moment I begin to think it's really me, he says, that's not going to work. I got to break that. That's pride, you see. That's, that is in the way of rightly representing the Lord. So, so what he does is he brings us back, having taken us in his hands, having blessed us as he does and as he is, he breaks us. And then he distributes. And, and it's a wonderful picture of not only what he did physically there, but what he is doing spiritually here. And what he's doing, not just in my life, but in your lives as you step out to serve and represent the Lord. He blessed them. He blessed that those bread and fishes. He broke and he gave the loaves to his disciples. Now, Here's something else. We, we read that they all ate. Literally, they were all filled or glutted. We know that because when they took up the fragments, they took up more than they passed out. There are numerous lessons practically here. I mean, one just being you can't outgive God. You give God your lunch and he gives you back basketfuls of whatever you entrusted to him, whatever you delivered back up for him and his use. But but something else is going on. Those who were on the outer extremities, on the, the outer perimeter, maybe drawn in because, hey, we're going to wait and see what's going on or what he has to say today. They all got fed. But the closer you were to that center where Jesus was, that circle around him, well, the more chance you saw something happening miraculously. You see, I doubt that everybody in the crowd even realized a miracle was taking place. I think once they saw free lunch, people were just like, hey, free lunch. And and nobody's worried about how are we getting this free lunch? Where is it coming from? But the people closest to Jesus, and this is how it will always be. They not only saw a miracle, they participated in it. Now, the miracle was happening in his hands, but get it. As he breaks the bread and distributes, and he breaks the bread and distributes, and he breaks the bread and distributes, he's placing that bread and those fish in the hands of his disciples who are then going out and distributing it to others. And so, the closer you are to Jesus, the more miraculous, the more supernatural your ministry, your service will become. And there are lots of believers, and, and I talk to them all the time, that's just sort of, how's it going? And they're like, man, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like God's doing much. Draw close to Him. It doesn't matter where you work or what you do or where you go to school or where you live because God wants to move supernaturally. God wants to move miraculously. But the real key isn't trying to pray it down or make it happen or conjure it up. No, the key is simple. It's just draw near to him and say, Lord, what do you want to do? You see, he's looking today at the multitudes. He sees as they were in that day, they're still weary. They're still scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And he and he alone has the ability to meet their needs. 
But he wants to use you to be a distributor of his grace, of his gospel, of his good news, of his mercy, of his resources, whatever those resources might be. So if you're laboring for the Lord and you're not really getting results, then just change and, and labor with the Lord. If, if things are kind of dry and difficult, then just acknowledge, Lord, I'm not cutting it. I'm not making it. I don't see, I don't see it happening. And then he'll say, well, let's do something then. Because he's got a plan to meet the needs of the weary masses. What resources that we may ourselves consider meager and what gifts that we ourselves may consider insufficient do we withhold from others out of fear of them not amounting to anything of value? Place them in the mighty hands of God and watch what he can do. Psalm 145.16 tells us this about the Lord. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.